0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 240 of the Distraction Pieces podcast, and that feels like a a round and significant number, so I had to have a hugely significant and wonderful guest. I'm joined today by Mr. John Cooper Clark, a living l- legend. I've had a lot of people asking if I'm going to have John on for ages, and it's been someone that's always been on my list, so I'm glad that we could make it happen and time it around uh The release of his new his new collection the luckiest guy alive which they were um it is they were a sponsor of the podcast so you will have heard me ramble plenty about it already but um it's great and and john is a favorite you're gonna love this conversation (laughs) because strap yourselves in basically because john is not afraid to talk he loves a chat he loves a a ramble and he's good he's just got the best the best stories i genuinely was just sitting back with a smile on my face for this whole episode chirping in every now and then you know a kind of after i had some directions i wanted to to, to go in i didn't get to go on all of them because john's a force of nature and, and i wouldn't want to try and get in the way of that force of nature it was one of them where i'm like well i want to go over here but this is gold just let him keep talking um. Yeah, you're going to uh, love it. Few, a few things before we get into that. I am recording this before it goes out, but by the time this goes out, my BBC Lifeline appeal will be on iPlayer already. It will have aired. It's air, it aired on Sunday at 1.55 on BBC One. Um, it'll be actually airing again on Wednesday, which is today, if you're listening immediately, at 1 o'clock on BBC Two. Wednesday the 21st, if you if you're you fancy tuning in live. But it should be on iPlayer as well. And as I said, it's not gone out yet, but I've done one post about it. And even the feedback to that has got me a little emotional. So I appreciate everyone who's sharing that and pushing it out there. Um, I'm going to talk about this more down the line because it was a really weird experience to do and to be involved in. Um, I've had a stutter my whole life. I should mention, I, should, I haven't even explained, the, the BBC Lifeline Appeal is something that I've hosted on behalf of the the British Stammering Association on cue. Um, as you'll know, I stutter. If you listen to the podcast, you will have heard it every now and then, if not constantly. Um, it comes and goes. And the British Stammering Association are basically doing amazing things to try and and help this. Um the woman who's taken charge there is J- is Jane, who I worked with 10 years ago, 11 years ago, more than that, when she started off Calm, uh, the campaign against Olivia Miserably, which a lot of you have heard me talk about a lot in the past and seen me do events. In fact, I did an event, um, I was on Professor Green's live podcast last week, um, which you can listen to, i not sure if it's out yet, but you could watch it live online and in in the room, and that was all, uh, it was a fundraiser r- r- for Calm. So, so, yeah, anyway, I'm going all over the place. You can clearly tell that this is something that is a bit personal to me because I'm far less relaxed and more rambly. But, yeah, um, it was really, it felt important to do this appeal. And I'll be honest, it's something that I wasn't l- looking forward to. I, r- I really in- in- enjoyed it in the end. Um, I, on the post I did about it I had someone comment saying oh you oh, you must be really excited about this and excited isn't a word it's been a weird one um, I'm proud of it and I'm pleased to be part of it but it, dealing with it all was harder than I expected but I'll talk about all this more um, down the line I've got a little s- a s- s- special podcast planned um, but yeah anyway all, all, all I wanted to say was thank you for everyone who tuned in live on Sunday and everyone who watched it and decided to chip in or donate or whatever else. Uh, the most important thing for me is the watching it, is the awareness, it's spreading the awareness, because the solution to stammers and stutters isn't simply fixing those who have a stammer or a stutter, it's educating those who don't have a stammer or a stutter on how to react, on how to 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 act when someone is and what the appropriate response is and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, it, it made me think of the 200th episode I had a while ago with um, a, a Tourette's hero on, and she kind of said that people see her wheelchair and go, oh, that must be so debilitating. It must make life so hard. And she was like, no, the wheelchair it gives me life. It makes life easier. It's the lack of wheelchair access that makes life hard. It's the steps. It's the people who... Who react poorly or react in the wrong way? That's what is dehabilitating, not the what we see as the disability. Um, and it was it was beautifully put, and it, it kind of it's it's in keeping with what the BSA are trying to do now. Um, anyway, that's enough of that, Lord. um... This what well, oh when's this coming? It's coming out on the, tw- the on the twenty first. That means this Saturday is the last We Are Lizards club night of the year, um, and we've gone all in. We've got three guests. We oh we normally have have one guest DJ, but we've got three guest DJ, and we're going till I think three a.m. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be a really good party. It's at the book club. I'd love you all to come along um, and celebrate the year that has been. We've had another year of sold out shows. It's amazing. So, yeah, come down, enjoy. I'll be there from like seven o'clock. But doors are at eight. It's free before nine. After nine, it's a fiver. And then that goes up a little bit at the later night because we're doing a longer run and we've got more guests to pay. Um, but, 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 yeah, you can buy tickets in advance from the book club's website or reserve tables. There's tables that, that down there. Only reserve a table if you come in fairly early part of the night, because as it gets busier, the tables get kind of pushed aside. But, yeah, that's cool. Um, or you can just ass- send your names to info at T h e t r a s h s o um, c i e t y T-H-E-T-R-A-S-H-S-O-C-I-E-T-Y.com. I might have spelled that wrong. I don't know. I've not got it in, in front of me. I was just rambling. Um, at thetrashsociety.com. Info at the trash society.com. If you send your names there, you can get on the Q jump list. And also, that uh, email address is manned by Stuart Whiffin of the Drunk Cast and Hardcore Listing. So you feel free to call him uh, a massive potato head. Um, speaking of the Drunk Cast, have us, I said everything about the club night? It's, it's wheel is at the book club. It's Saturday the 24th. Come down um speaking of the drunk cast we are going to be recording a new end of year drunk cast soon um the drunk cast started with me chris and Stu in essex getting drunk then it was an end of year thing and then we did a few more because they were popular and then for that next end of year one we got R- a ranganathan and brett goldstein in and it was great and the year after that again we, we did a few f- throughout the year it was just the, the three of us and then at the end of that year, we got the Distraction Pieces podcast special, or D- Distraction Pieces N- Network Christmas special that had J- Jason Reed from the Stop and Search podcast, obviously Chris and Stu, uh, a Su- a Su- a Susie Gage, J- Jim Smallman, who's teetotal, total so he had a stunt drinker in professional wrestling l- legend J- J- Jimmy Havoc. Um, and we had John Harris looking up facts. Um, and that one ended with me oh, uh, there's no polite or clean way to put this I mean this is a podcast you've come to for a, a poet talking to another poet and I'm now going to tell you that that podcast with me ended sh- ended with me shitting in a bush on a golf course no a cricket a cricket club um, so, so yeah they're all worth listen but this year we're going back to the original cuz I've not had time to do any a drunk cast this year I've had so many guests uh blocked in Um, We decided that for this year's end of year one, we're going to go back to me, Stu and Chris in Essex getting drunk. So it's going to be lovely. Actually, I also need to to tell you, I've got so much to tell you, Um, there's going to be a bonus podcast on Friday. And as I say this out loud, this is the first the Buddy Peace is hearing about it, who edits the podcast and puts them out. There's a bonus podcast on Friday with Matt Palmer, who's the director of Calibre, which um, was nominated for numerous Scottish b- 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 Baftas. It won several. It's amazing. It's on Netflix. I recommend it highly. Um, that's going to be a bonus on Friday, and then the week after, I've got David Lowry on, who's a literal a, a legend. He's he did uh, a ghost story, Peter's Dragon. He's got a new film called Old Man and a Gun, and it's a heist movie. And the people, the three people in the gang of Robert Redford in his last ever film, Danny Glover and Tom Waits. It's amazing. Anyway, he's done tons of good stuff. So he'll be on next week and then Boots Riley and then Russell Kane and then we'll be in drunk cast territory. So we've got loads of good guests coming. Speechdevelopmentrecords.com as ever. I've I've gone too long in the intro now to plug the website. So it's the end of the year. If you've been listening over this year and you've enjoyed it, do us a favour and pop over to either speechdevelopmentrecords.com and buy some merch, treat yourself to something or treat a friend to something for Christmas, or head to patreon.com slash scroobiuspip. I've rambled enough. This is episode 240 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the one John Cooper Clark. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to the This piece of fiction is the intro to the This piece of fiction is the intro
1: to the No, 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 I don't feel like you are. You call it, kid. It's your show.
0: Right, well, with that said, we are rolling. Um, And I'm joined today by Mr. John Cooper Clark. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you, Scroobius, yourself. I'm good. I've been excited about this one because people have asked for for a while and we've met a few times over the years yes, on the circuit have. but since I kind of stopped gigging it's been a while uh-huh. so it was kind of I was looking forward to it I, in this this, this very s- same room I did a podcast a month or so ago with Kate Tempest and it was a similar thing uh-huh. I love Kate dearly but yeah we never get to catch up these days so oh, no I like when podcasts are essentially just me catching up with people I haven't seen in a bit so that's nice so how's it all, all going
1: well, very well at the moment. Yes, I'm uh, extremely busy uh, on account of I got a book coming out on the first uh, of November. Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, extremely busy. But I always am busy. Life? I always am busy. I've been for the uh, for touch wood. Uh, I always am busy and have been for especially busy for the last uh, nine years or so. It's been it's been, a, it's been a, a, an uphill escalator, a high speed uphill escalator. It's
0: been a beautiful the, resurgence, isn't it? Yeah, fabulous. Uh, what do you think is is t- to blame for that is it a case of things just coming in and out of fashion or coming in and out because you've always been John, you've always been, been doing your well, thing. If
1: I was a band, I would have split up years yeah, ago. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Where do you go? Yeah. It's just a matter of that's So, you know, that's my job. I am determined to be a professional poet long, long ago, and that's what I've uh, always been able to continue to do. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, up until about nine years ago, I guess, uh, in a in a, in a a smaller uh, uh, milieu.
0: Yeah. But, uh, I mean, so uh, your new collection is, is, is your first in 30 yeah. years. Um, and we'll get on to that, but... but but let's go back all those years ago when you kind of decided that you wanted to make a career as a poet because in the, I'm guessing the 60s and 70s in Salford, it wasn't on the on the careers list. I'd imagine no, no, it wasn't it, one of the things that was available to you as an you, obvious choice. You, you, did, you didn't see it advertised down at the job centre.
1: Put no. it that way. <laughs> poets wanted exactly <laughs> situations it's, vacant. You're more likely does to your, see poets not wanted. Does your face, yes, indeed. <laughs> does your face fit here? Yeah. Uh, no, that never happened, obviously, and, uh, well, I went to, uh, I was lucky enough to, I went to a secondary modern school in the 1950s, and yeah. uh, people paint a very bleak picture of the secondary modern, of the, you know, the, uh, the grammar school secondary modern yeah. system uh, today. They seem to think it was, you know, a, a cruel thing to do to, you know, uh, that educational streaming. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of innately cruel, but... We were never felt that we never any of us felt that we were receiving a second rate education. You know, granted we were expected to go on and work in industry or trade if we were kind yeah. of lucky, you know. Exactly. I was say, so what that was the big
0: difference there. It was it was it was the it was diverting attention away or focus away from necessarily academia and more towards practical yeah but thats a, yeah but that that is a a, a, a
1: massive oversimplification yeah. you know yeah. we, we, we got uh, you know ins- we, we we got inspired what one particular teacher, John Malone, who uh, was a very inspiring conveyor of uh, his uh, interest in roman- the romantic poetry of the 19th century. And apart from that, he was a real kind of red-blooded outdoor Ernest Hemingway type. Yeah. You know, he would engage in dangerous sports in the school holidays and Love return it. in September with some new injury. You know, so he had this kind of that side to him. Yeah, you know, the red-blooded adventurer. But on the other hand, he uh, he, he had this uh, this aesthetic. Uh, appreciation of uh, ex- of the romantic poetry of the 19th century which he conveyed to what you might have thought would be an unwilling uh classroom an unreceptive yeah. classroom given that we were you know basically you know it was a low-rent area uh, it was a bad school in many ways we, we had to go to another school in order to do woodwork so it wasn't a very right. well equipped school yeah. but But nevertheless, you know, thank you for... I hated every minute of it, by by the way. I'm I'm talking here as if they're fond memories. Yeah. I hated every second I was at school, apart from the odd literature period with this uh, wonderful chap, John Malone.
0: It must have been really good to have an inspirational character like that who was... A man's man who wasn't a stuffy old kind That's of. That's right. Yeah, he ...behind the desk, fella. Here's what but, you need to learn. Yeah,
1: and here's that. And he was a real swinging cat as well. He was a young fella, and there used to be a there used to be a TV show on uh, on Granada Television uh, at that uh, in, around that time. It was a it was a forerunner of Opportunity Knocks, you know, the, right. uh, the talent show that yeah, launched yeah, yeah. Uh, our fellow poet Pam Ayres. More about her, perhaps, in a minute. Yeah. But uh, John Malone was a member of. I wish I could remember the name of the group. But uh, it was all about a what show? It was called the Carol Levis Show. This right. was run by this Canadian guy. He was the MC.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Carol Levis, who would uh, introduce acts of all kinds. You know, comedians, ventriloquists, jugglers, dancers, uh, magicians. Did I say? And singers, a lot of singers. Yeah. And uh, and one of the singers was John Malone, who was in this. Do what? outfit. He was Amazing. even he was even tuxedoed up. Yeah. So there was another side to the guy, yeah. uh, the already uh, fascinating character. Yeah. He was he was uh, he was terrific. We were privileged to have him as a as a, an English teacher and he con- as I say, he conveyed his, this uh, he, he conveyed his uh, enthusiasm for 19th century poetry to an indis- to a, an irresistible degree. The class was full of you know, we were just oiks. Yeah. yeah, you know Yobos yeah. you know borderline delinquents. Yeah, uh, and yet he he fostered this hot house atmosphere of poetical competition.
0: Yeah, it's I much mean,
1: like you see in those films about Compton, you know, like yeah, these that's, rappers. I
0: was going to say it was almost cinematic, competitive.
1: Yeah, but competitive in a kind of who can use the biggest, most outdated. Words,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know completely? what I mean. And, uh, who can be the most obscure yeah, the, the, with the their most, language?
1: The, the is, Yeah, you know, and it was he it really did make that happen.
0: That must have been. I mean, I mean it, it was a kind of miracle. It feels, it, it feels exactly like that. As you said, at a time when they're trying to potentially divide schools up to not f- f- focus on on things like that, to have someone in your school who was like, "No, I don't care who the kids are yeah, or what would, what background sure. they're from." Yeah. yeah this is exciting, this is energetic, this yeah. is
1: poetry. And he wasn't flaky about it, neither, you know what I mean? There was, a, As far as he was concerned, you know, I mean, if you think about the poetry of uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson, it's mathematical in its metric right. pattern. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So there was very much... The poetry he liked, there, there was a right way and a wrong way. Yeah. It wasn't all about express yourself. There was none of that shit yeah. baggage with it. It was... Yeah. It was like there's a right way and a wrong way, you know. Amazing. So it wasn't at all flaky about it, you know, yeah. it was kind of rigid. But we had to learn it, Michael Gove style. What can I say? Yeah. You know, I, I totally agree. That's the way poetry works. We used to have, we had to learn, well, in one turn, we had to learn the Lady of, the entire Lady of Shalott. Right. The Lady of Shalott. All 25 pages of it or something. Wow. Right. But because it rhymed and was rigid in its metric scheme, it, was, uh, it wasn't that difficult.
0: Yeah. It wasn't yeah.
1: that difficult. It was easier than, say, an actor learning lines.
0: Yeah, it flows logically, You know, if, if right? it's got
1: that metric pattern that you get into that groove and you're singing the song until the end, but it was language that was, it was even antediluvian, you know, the language of the Lady of Shalott was even antediluvian to an incomprehensible, almost incomprehensible degree in the 19th century when he wrote it, so he wasn't writing it, he was writing it in an antique style Yeah, a hundred years before we were reading (laughs) it, so it was never meant to be completely understood, and that's my point, I think, you know, uh, you're not meant to understand. There's nothing to understand. It's a poem. It's a freestanding piece of, of verbal furniture. Yeah. You know, a piece of, you know what I mean? It's, that it's, as, it's, it's as immovable as architecture. Yeah. If you learn it off by heart. And then you're not going to understand. It was written by, you know, you're learning it when you're a 10-year-old kid at school. You're not going to understand it. It's written by a 32-year-old man 100 years ago. Yeah. You're not going to understand it now. Learn the words, and then 30 years later, is that what he meant? Is it or isn't it? Is that what maybe that fed in... Uh, you know, exactly. and it becomes an endlessly fascinating piece of literature. It's, it's something it, that you go over and over again. and But it's not a puzzle. What I'm saying is a, a poem. It ain't a sort of puzzle that yeah. you, you, you've got to work out what it means or yeah. anything.
0: It's, it's, it's a like, complete problem with art these days um, because of our education system where it does seem to be... Everything has to be solved. And people forget that cinema, poetry, all of these things, a painting, you walk up to a painting... And you might like it. It yeah, doesn't yeah. mean you understand it yet. You, don't, you, you, don't you, you know. then look into it and understand it more. What, uh, it doesn't have to be a, oh, I get it. And that's yeah, the yeah. same with, with all these things. It doesn't have to be there, poured out in front of you. I think f- film is one of the greatest examples. of this. It? it feels yeah. like everything has to have a beginning, middle and end, a conclusion. It's like, no, I can enjoy something and not and be chasing that explanation, uh, be chasing that wonderment. And that's the beautiful part of being pushed Poetry at that stage where you're learning the rigidity yeah, of it, I you're learning the flow and the pattern, but I not necessarily understanding it. I think it's
1: key. Yeah. That they learn poetry of by art in yeah. schools. Yeah. Key.
0: So, so 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 when when was it that you took to to, to writing and performing Poetry you ah yourself.
1: well, because I got good at it at school, I, uh, I, I I started reading other poets, and sometimes you know I'd read about poets. I used to get a, I used to collect, I used to read a lot of comics, like a lot of kids. Yeah, even so today, possibly do. I, no, they probably don't. Nobody reads comics anymore. I,
0: I read. I, I, read I, I used now, to read. What that kids do anymore? That's what there was
1: then. <laughs> comics. So yeah. uh, there was this particular set of comics came from the states called Classics Illustrated, and it was all the. It was the classics. It was you know. The Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, you know, stuff by Moby Dick, Macbeth. It was all the classics, Crime and Punishment, you know, Dostoevsky. And, of course, you know, being a bit, you know, uh, you know, like being a bit of a bullshit kid, you know, if anybody asked me, you know, have you ever read Dostoevsky? I'd be, oh, yes, uh, Crime and Punishment. uh, You know, but I read it in comic form. Yeah. But it was a kind of improving comic. It wasn't like trash horror, violence, yeah, the kind of thing you used to in comics. Yeah. it was a bit sort of adult, you know. And at the end of the at the end of the comic, it'd say, "We strongly urge you to read the original." So it probably came from a very kind of self improvement kind of yeah. angle. But nevertheless, you know, they were entertaining as comics. You know, it was a, it was a condensed the story condensed. you know. Yeah. And uh, in the back of it, if they had a few pages to make up, I remember reading in, in the back of one of them, you would have the live the, the life story of the author right and on one of the, one or two of them they would have how uh, how the, the American national anthem was written right and it was written by uh it was written by uh, an an effete, an effete young english fox poet, you know, uh, I guess he was a contemporary, a lesser known contemporary of people like Byron and Shelley because he was really right behind the American struggle for uh, liberation or getting rid of the, you know, throwing off the rule of kings, you know, they were all kind of part part of the same thing, weren't they, the French, the Americans and the kind of more socially progressive end of British letters. Yeah, You know what I mean? They were all kind of feeding into that thing. But anyway, this Francis Scott Key, long story short, was uh, confined to uh, a cabin on a, a ship uh, moored off the New Orleans as the Battle of New Orleans was taking place. And it went on through the night, and this is where he wrote the song about, because he, ident- he identified with the American people in their struggle against a yeah. throw-off. The English monarchy, the rule of the distant rule of the English. You know, they were right behind it. So he wrote the whole of uh, the American Star Spangled Banner uh, in one night, and finished it off in the morning when he saw that the flag was still there. You know, when the smoke cleared and the the flag was still there. It's a very, very romantic piece. It had an artist's impression of this effete young. Pale young Englishman uh, looking out the port of a ship at uh, this conflagration on the horizon. You know, really evocative. Amazing. So I just, so I just, Ever since then, really, I don't really go for displays. You know, uh, um, ostentatious displays of uh, patriotic devotion, uh, as a rule, as a as a matter of course. But I gotta say. The only the only national anthem that, that, that brings uh, uh, a manly tear to my eye yeah. is the star of Spangled Banner. The, they're such and re- it's such a great tune as well. I don't oh, think he things wasn't things responsible things, for the know. tune. But anyway, the guy was called Francis I don't know whether I told you the name of the guy. Yeah. Francis Scott Key. Yeah. And it was just like you'd expect, you know, a consumptive <laughs> effete young English poet
0: so i got into the so i got into tricking you into learning it's true it's tricking you into education education by going here's some stuff at the back of a comic
1: but i was interested in all things poetic and how writers have lived and how writers uh, of any kind have managed to earn a living out of being a writer and that's when i because i was determined at that young age to become a profession i started then i started reading about charles baudelaire yeah. and about how he was because I was a bit of a clothes obsessive, so, so I read about how he was like you know a like tailor's bills and you know he was a bit of a dude. Yeah, but I read about him and he, and and, that, and, uh, and I thought that's the way to go. Here's this guy, this citizen of Paris, who's like every you know writing uh, you know with the overview. Looking yeah. through the prism of poetry, you know, with that overview of an entire city, probably the greatest city in the world at that point.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, and and what he said about it, and when he says uh, his intention was to be like, uh, you know, are number one, a mirror reflecting the entire city of Paris. Wow. So I thought, what, an, what a great ambition. And if you yeah. can do that, and he never did anything else. The main thing is, every other poet I looked at in the 20th century in England did something else. So when I used to say to people, you know, uh, I want to be a professional poet, I'm good at it. You know, I, I, I know people like it. You know, I'm not shy about, sh- you know what I mean? People dig it. You know, I know this. And uh, I, I want to make my living doing this and uh, and people would say what are you crazy you know nobody makes a living out of poetry you're a good kid but you ain't that good you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? yeah. nobody makes a living out of poetry you know for instance uh, Philip Larkin is a librarian
0: yeah, yeah all
1: yeah. these other guys they were some kind of professor at some top dollar university or had some stipend at some seat of education or some other fucking motherfucker job yeah. that's gonna bring in the bacon right yeah but nobody, everybody says you can't make a living out of something as flaky as poetry, you know. The people are fickle. They might like you one minute, go off, you know, blah, blah, blah. I got no encouragement, is what I'm saying. Not, yeah. not, not off nobody. But then came. So I used to point at this. Look at this. Charles Baudelaire, this man. He never had a job in his life. He lived on his skills, you know, skills that he sharpened into an art. Yeah. You know, that began as a gift. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you've got completely. to work it up, work yeah. it up. Might be, you know, just because you're gifted, don't wait around for inspiration. That's the main thing. That's for amateurs, right? Exactly. So you fucking look at any a piece of furniture, there's a, there's a whole universe there if yeah. you go about it in the right way.
0: And, and, and that kind of, did that, so that, then, that putting the pressure on you to force you to go. No, I need to make a living of this. I've yeah, not yeah, got I that fallback. I've not got that other option. My, my, my parents
1: weren't loaded. You know yeah. what I mean. I didn't enter the halls of academia in any way. My first job was as a, a, an apprentice motor mechanic because I always liked cars. Yeah. And uh, But it wasn't what I thought it would be. I, I realised I only like cars because of their colour scheme or upholstery or, or some, <laughs> yeah. some motherfucking yeah. detail like that, you know I what like I mean? I like cars I'm not, very mechanical. not mechanically. Yeah. I'm not very mechanical at all, unlike my dad who was a professional engineer. You know, that yeah. well, you know, was his trade. I
0: mean, that's a signal so, of um, a poet straight off the bat that that you love the beautiful aesthetic yeah, cards you know, particularly surface. like the nuts and bolts. Surf, the surface <laughs> is
1: everything. There's not much underneath there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so how was that then when uh, when punk came about? Because by then you're 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 driven, outspoken, um you're a sharp dressed man with well, that's big it. old well, haircut. Well,
1: well, that's how I got in punk really. Uh long story short, uh well, everybody's, nobody's giving me no encouragement, right? So, uh, so then uh, suddenly uh, we're watching Opportunity Knox, which we, I referenced earlier, yeah. you know, uh, talent show. And, uh, and there's uh, launched a lot of people uh, Solomon King, uh, a lot of great singers uh, yeah. started out on Opportunity Knox and went on to have uh, flourishing careers. But this one, Pam Ayers, I said, look at this. They were voting for that. They were voting for Pam week in, week out for about a year. Yeah. So I said who's who's the fool. Yeah, yeah. Look at this chick, you know, she's not doing anything I don't do. She's she's writing poetry about her world, same as I write in poetry about my world, you know. Yeah. Those two uh existences are quite different in their details, but we're both kind of putting it down in uh you know, we're putting it through the poetry processor.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that you was know what I mean. And yeah, so, I, so
1: I, I got a lot of uh, encouragement from the ongoing success of Pammers.
0: Yeah, and uh, and uh, and then as I said, can't talk it up enough. There's a natural um, appeal of of I said the punk scene that that the, the, the blew up shortly after that because the yeah, punk was scene was driven after. by the, the 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 directness of message, the statement, the the relatability, the not being this American thing, yeah, being that's a local right. thing. Um, and it's saw well, you no, kind of... I, I disagree with, with, with the American, though.
1: I was very American. I've always yeah. been very American. In fact, my approach to my whole career has been that of... Uh you know, I didn't really see it as being a rock and roll thing at first. Yeah. You know, I didn't see how it could connect in any way with the with the world of rock and roll. You know, poetry is a very reflective medium. You know, it's, uh, it relies a, a great deal on uh, looking backwards and yeah. uh, and, uh, and you know, ruminating at, at sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's It's that kind. It's a cerebral kind of uh, field of endeavor, whereas rock and roll uh, was was an immediate. <laughs> kind of uh, force of nature, uh, you know, uh, expressing desires that must be immediately quenched. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's all about instant gratification now, isn't it?
0: So were the beat you know, poets of, of that era kind of a, 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 yeah they American were, you, influence yeah, there? It. Your Ginsbergs? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and and that beatnik
1: thing fed into wider American society, which yeah. is where I came across it, reading Mad Magazine, you know, watching Jack Lemmon movies, yeah. uh, all that thing. I was uh, utterly... You, you, you wouldn't understand, living today, how utterly American... One uh, somebody like me was, yeah. you know, uh, uh, absolutely anything that came from there was great, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. From,
0: yeah.
1: you know, I mean Elvis. say I can say it in one word: Elvis. Yeah. But before I was you know, Sinatra. I used to look at those, you know, the way he dressed. I used to think, you know, why, why don't adult males wear those kind of clothes yeah. here? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got tailors. Yeah. Why, why does all our adult males look like shit? Yeah. Why don't anybody of Frank's, you know, why don't they look like that? Why don't they have a suit that fits like that? Yeah. You know, I know that money buys you a certain amount, but, you know, there's more to it than that. But I was, yeah, totally American, and that's where I got across the beatniks, absolutely. But with the punk thing, you know, because I was always so... uh, given the fact that I got this £10 alley American streak, yeah. you know, a mile wide, I mean, uh, that was the only way to make it as, a, as a, poet. a poet. A poem is a very frail and fragile thing out there on its own, you know, when you look at it there on its own. You've got to dress it up. You've got to drag it into the world of show business. That's what I've seen it as. Yeah. And there were people in show business that, that had an echo of poetry, you know, people like Phil Harris.
0: Right, The guy yeah, that yeah, did yeah.
1: Woodman Spare That Tree and the Dark Town Poker School. Yeah. Uh, that's what I like about the South. You know, great poet. And uh, Stanley Holloway over here doing those monologues, you know, Albert and the Lion and uh, those kind of things. Right. So, uh, you know, a little bit of that. You know, there, there were, I could see that you could drag it into showbiz somehow. Yeah. Make that your thing and, you know, eke out a living. In the glitzy world of, as I say, show business. So that was my intention in the 70s when I was... uh, So therefore, I didn't look like a hippie.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. It was the sharp-dressed look, the
1: professional. That's it. I was the professional citizen. You know, artists as, as... professional citizen, you know what I'm saying? That was my that was always my aim to be that guy, you know, to And be it's
0: a, it's a striking uh, thing, man, uh, because it's not that again, poetry would have been associated to that kind it's of a more fragile, airy, bary, it's a
1: fragile exactly. pursuit. So you turning you know up I mean? even at the punk scene... There's nothing scene, wrong whatever. with a fragile feet poetry, I love it, yeah. you know but But you being there you you striking to and striking in shirt
0: and tie in a suit and, have and have delivering talk, yeah. stuff.
1: You'd have to you'd have to pack it, talk it up, you know, yeah, and yeah. You know, convince people of yourself. And uh, so I had to go completely American on it. So I was doing places like, well, as I've all... Uh, it's uh, well-known... You know, it's, this isn't the first time I've mentioned it, but one of the first guys to give me a break was the late Bernard Manning. Yeah. Really? yeah I was trying to get into that cabaret world young adult world of uh, schlocko entertainment in Manchester in the mid 70s so uh, I went out at Bernard you know and I showed him I've got this poem uh, Salome Maloney El Supremo of the Ritz it's in my first book and it's all about that Mecca ballroom scene the kind of thing that they're trying to revive on Strictly Come Dancing
0: you know it was a kind of whole
1: scene and I knew that Bernard knew that world because Bernard started out in show business as a singer with the with the Phil Moss Orchestra who right. were a dance band that went, did the whole circuit of mecca dance uh, ballrooms all over yeah. the country he was a gifted vocalist but when he heard Heartbreak Old Cell he just went uh, He to uh, Phil Moss he says give me my I'll work my notice I'll honour the dates for the next year because they were booked up for a year yeah. he says after that I'm out of this business. It's finished. This business, this dance band business, is finished. And they're all like, "What are you, man? We got, we got dates here right up to Christmas." He said, "Nah, after that, it's finished." They says, you, "Haven't you heard that Elvis Presley?" So he heard. He, he, he that's how that's our uh, on the on the money. Bernard yeah. always, always was he It's always
0: amazing was. that Bernard Manning so the comedian. is, is a direct it. result of Elvis. Well, he
1: wasn't a comedian then; he it, was a well, singer. But-
0: and that's so what I mean, El- though. Elvis, the comedian of him is, right. is a result of Elvis. Elvis that's right. so pushed with, him over So with way. his severance... For better or worse.
1: That's right. <laughs> so with his severance pay, he bought uh, a disused billiard hall right. in Collyhurst, North Manchester, real very, very rough area of Manchester. Yeah. And he opened the Embassy Club, and uh, with, some, with some of his show business contacts, you know, he was just the MC. Yeah. He would, he, they would, he would call in a few favours. He'd have top singers like Matt Monroe... Yeah, Alma Kogan at the time you know yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they were quite big hitters but yeah. they'd peaked they'd peaked but yeah. you would still see them on selling
0: yeah of course you know but they weren't
1: like selling hit records anymore but yeah nevertheless you know big names so he got Carl all them and, and Bernard started out as just the sort of Compare couple of gags, bring them on. So, but the gags took over, and he became the gifted comedian that we remember and hopefully can dredge up some grudging respect for.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not easy.
1: No, but Again, it's, Bernard it, always used to say, and I've always, I'm always quoting him on this. You can't knock success. Yeah, there's something in that. So he's the first guy to give it. So, so I picked this poem out. It's called Salome Maloney El Supremo of the Ritz, and it's got a line in it. Uh, A fight breaks out, as often did in these northern dance halls. A fight breaks out in this poem. You you don't know the poem. I'm not going to give it a whole number, but there's a line in it. I thought, well, I'll give him it. And he said, "Well, they don't really like poetry here." He's saying, you know, uh, why don't you? You know, there must be somewhere else. Why here? They don't like poetry and all that. He was real like down on it. Yeah. Ah. So he said, let's have a look at it then. So, so I said, no, I'm not going to let you have a look at it. I'm going I'm to just give you a couple of lines. Because after all, that's the best way to get poetry, Completely. phonetically, right? Yeah. So uh, he says, all right, go on then. What, what have you got? He said, give her a couple of lines then. So, uh, and I deliberately picked this one. The line is, when the fighting stopped or something, when the, fight, when the fighting stopped, she was lying on the deck. She fell off her stiletto heels and broke her fucking neck. Well, i be you no, know, sorry. Uh, uh, that's different. Why didn't yeah. you say so? You know, it's a yeah. worldly new inside out. Yeah, and it had the magic word fucking in
0: it. Yeah, it had. So, that so edge it was of in. Excitement. It was in. Yeah, you're in, son. I'll give you a week. Uh, so how was it when you, you started a week, to break then, through to all these people and poetry? Again, you were kind of the first time that people were saying that poetry is the new rock and roll. It was kind well, of then it
1: got rocking. Then it, I'll tell yeah. you see where it got rocking. <laughs> Because I was making it in that world and, you know, word got around in Manchester. It was a completely Manchester-centric thing at this time, you yeah. know, but I did have a view to the wider world, you know, about, So somewhere to start. So I got a, I did a few other places that were around at the time, Jojo's Palace, uh, Jerry Harris's Piccadilly Club, the New Luxor Club, and then I got a residency at a place called Mr. Smith's. Every Sunday night I'd get 20 minutes of shtick, a couple of poems, some shtick, bringing on the main act. Yeah. And because I was in this world of young, smart, young adults around town, kind of sophisticated humour, yeah. you know, I had to look the part. So I, so I had a kind of account, at a local tailors and... Uh, you yeah, know, I was paying everything on the weekly. Actually, I, I put a lot of my personal finances into my own success, as, as the, the late Lou Rolls used to always say. I got to maintain my front so's I can keep making my game right. Damn right. So, uh, so I had a number of uh, tonic suits, and you know, in the con- cut in the continental style. And uh, very short hair at the time, you know, yeah. a buzz cut. I had a buzz cut with feathered bits. I
0: can't even You know, imagine. with feathers. Right, yeah. yeah like
1: yeah, yeah. Julie Driscoll. Right, yeah. In This Wheel's on Fire. You yeah. Know, if you ever have, yeah. have a look at that old footage, that was my haircut at that time.
0: And how that go and, down uh, in, the,
1: in the clubs of... Oh, great, like, you Manchester. know, there's a smart young fella. Yeah. No, it was great, I had my own little following there, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was going okay, but because I didn't look... This was 1975, and everybody, had, everybody looked like a hippie. You couldn't buy unflared trousers. Yeah. You, could, you could not get them. They didn't manufacture trousers that weren't flared. Yeah. That's, the, that's the most important thing about punk. I don't care what anybody said. The most important thing about punk was there, there weren't many rules, but no flares was probably <laughs> yeah. the most yeah. rigidly policed.
0: And it's of, it's it's, it's, it's why all. it started off as so DIY because, as you said, you couldn't buy non-flares, so you, had, it, to so you
1: had to troll the thrift shops yeah. or uh, get your mum to take them in or whatever you couldn't be seen in anything that would be construed as a, a, a as a flare, a bell bottom a kick flare.
0: not the mildest
1: flare. <laughs> not at all not at all so because I look like this and not like that yeah uh, Howard Devoto who was then the singer in the Buscocks yeah who I'd recently seen on with the Sex Pistols at the Lesser free trade, free trade Hall with Slaughter and the Dogs and the wow. newly formed Sex Pistols. Yeah. But I knew about punk rock because I was very enthusiastic about the Ramones. Yeah. And uh, I was always interested in the kind of uh, rock and roll that came out of New York specifically because yeah. I was a, a massive fan of the Velvet Underground.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so from that, I, I kind of got in. You know, I like Patti Smith and all that CBGBs. Uh, axis, yeah, yeah. but particularly the Ramones. I love, yeah. I love that band. Love, love, love that band. Not a day goes by, I don't play them. I love that band. They're so tuneful.
0: And uh, did, did they influence your look? Then, as you went, no, on. they didn't
1: influence my look at all. Had... Apart from the leather jacket. Yeah, I mean that 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 came later, but. Howard, get back to Howard. Devoted, he says, uh, "John, you should be doing these punk rock shows with us. You know, you write social yeah. scandal, social kind yeah. of lyrics. or it's the kind of thing people know about. You know, uh, it ain't, you know. I mean, it's very immediate, and you and you read them very fast, and it, and that's the main thing. Is yeah, that you read them very fast, and you don't wear flares, and you've got <laughs> short. And I'd seen Howard around." I'd yeah. seen him around with a girl called Linda who was his girlfriend then, who did and she did all the graphics, very well-known graphics for the uh, Buzzcocks. Right. They had a very distinctive house style.
0: Yeah, yeah, That was influenced
1: yeah, yeah. by, I guess, uh, sort of the Dadaarists or yeah. something like something European.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. It all look really she-she and, you know, knowledgeable. So yeah. I, I really wanted to get involved with punk rock, so I didn't need much convincing. So I figured, yeah, but, you know, they're all like fucking toe racks, from what I could make out, you <laughs> know, and I've got these nice... I've got all these suits that I ain't even st- finished paying yeah. for yet, and these people are fucking flobbing all over. And their clothes you know, are falling apart, and I'm still paying horrible. off my, So that's when I started my wearing the soup. leather jacket. right. You know, something you can wipe clean with a wet rag. You know, it was costing me a fucking fortune. I had all these fucking mohair suits that I hadn't even finished paying for. And I, and I was falling behind with the payments because of the dry cleaning bills. You know, I wasn't a millionaire, but I was, I was punching above my weight. You know, like Completely. I say, you've got to talk it up. So I was punching above my weight. I wanted to look richer than I was. Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: and again, it's, 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 it's definitely a thing. It's, it's, but it's that's something... a mod thing.
1: I had, I had that since I was a mod. It's something I, I learned from had people had to... like,
0: like, like you guys. The first time I was touring, I toured up north and I wore a suit and I had a look yeah. and I had a striker thing. And my theory was... They would assume I must be big down south. Yeah, that's it. At that point, I'd never played a gig down south. But their opinion, I had my suit, I had my CD pressed, I had all this. It gave that viewer success. success. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're out of the loop, Buster.
0: Yeah. Nobody wants to feel like they're out of the loop. No, no, exactly. It's a natural thing in As, human beings. So how how was it when you started to be embraced by that scene, what despite your scene? slight reservations? It was. A, it, was
1: a, it was a little bit. <laughs> it, it was a little despite bit fierce right scene. away. At first, it was a, a little bit fierce, you know, because I was doing shows with The Fall in uh, Kirby and uh, these these uh, new towns.
0: I was going to say Liverpool,
1: the- and you know, they were like real. Real, the, the, this old, like, strong beard.
0: The fact that you've got, you know, The Fool, yeah, The Pistols, know. Joy Division, Elvis Costello, all on your list, and the first person who came up to today was Bernard Manning is a real description right of how varied you your career right has
1: been. you've got quite a trajectory. Yeah, exactly, um, so it's a head of a unique, trajectory, right? It's
0: a unique trajectory, <laughs> I uh, exactly. So, So how was that? You start to do gigs... With the fall and that. And that was at the point where <clears throat> Punk's reputation was growing more and more of the the danger of it, the kind of, the yeah, sig- vicious right. kind of element of, but, you know, we're going to get hurt, we're going to bleed, it's all in good spirit, but... But you know what I
1: mean? I'll paraphrase Colonel Tom Parker here. Good publicity, bad publicity. As long as they spell it C-L-A-R-K-E.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't care. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So where did you go from there? You'd always had the outlook of, I'm making a career of this. I'm doing this as a professional.
1: I had to do certain menial jobs at certain periods. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Because
0: that's what I was going to say. It's tough because it it was always poetry tagged on to other things, whether it's tagged on to Bernard Manning's, the embassy comedy and cabaret type things, or tagged on to the punks. It was still, right, I'm here with these other people. So it must have been a kind of a Struggle to go, but where's, where's my path? Where's my journey?
1: No, it kind of happened kind of organically in yeah. a way, you know. I can't remember thinking about what look to have, yeah, yeah, or anything like that. But I've always looked at kind of the when it comes to image, you know, I've always thought you know, you're better off with uh, something, that, something that's easily maintained and that. Is never particularly in or out of fashion.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. So I've always worn the same kind of clothes since I was sixteen. Yeah. Anyway, even before I got into the showbiz end of things, since I was, I was a mod in the mid '60s, and you know that's those sort of uh, uh, sartorial production values have prevailed into adult life, late yeah. adult life, even. Yeah. I'm afraid, but that's something about that Ivy League suit that looks just as good on an on an older person as it does on a young man. 100%, 100%, you
0: know? sharp is sharp. That's right. Fashion fades, but That's style right. is eternal. It's easily maintained,
1: yeah. neat, Block colours. Yeah. And if you're going to be the only person on stage, you, you've got to be pleasant to look at.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You've got to have that image and, and that look. I mean, as we've only got an hour, I'm going to fast forward a chunk now to the, the kind of m- mid to late 2000s, when suddenly bands like i mean i'd put the streets in there as well but the arctic monkeys and all these other oh, bands yeah, were coming we're out who were putting poetic lyrics out but being regional n- not just speaking in american accents yeah yeah and that was kind of a resurgence for you because people were referencing you the arctics were referencing oh, john I'm cooper at. clark and that that is
1: you know a great uh, has contributed a great Deal of su- uh, 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 to my uh, the you know successful trajectory that yeah. I'm enjoying at the moment, you know, no, no no doubt about it, you know, and I'm glad I was nice to them. Yeah. I met them a fortnight before they went mega.
0: Oh, really? And,
1: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I glad? I, no, I'm usually not. I'm, you know, my default setting is pleasant. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> damn right, it's the best way to. So how I'm, how, I'm how glad I am that I was on that. Okay, yeah, I was doing uh, this club called it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a, it was a very it was a good good rock and roll club in Sheffield called the Boardwalk. And I'd been doing this little tour with, the again, with the fall, actually, and we'd just smashed it in the boardwalk, and I was just packing up and leaving the building when the proprietor uh, said, just before you go, John, will you say hello to these lads? Uh, You know, they they love your stuff. Uh, They're in this band. Uh, We think they're going to really go places. Well, this particular club had a very, you know, uh, faultless booking policy, and when they said somebody was good, they were usually good, you know. Yeah. So but I judge bands by their names a great deal at the time. There's so yeah. many of them and you can't listen to everything. So I said, what are they called? He said, the Arctic Monkeys. I said, oh, wow, well, yeah, that's a, stro- <laughs> that's a strong image. I could yeah, see right. that in the hit parade, that name. Yeah, that, yeah, bring them on so they have troops in, you know. They, I think they'd only just left school or something, you know. To, you know they were very, all very shy and uh, yeah. uh, unassuming lads. But very, very nice, nice kids all the way. They still are. Still are, and you know, their stuff gets just gets better and better and better. It really I, does. I watched their whole show uh two weeks ago. In fact, I emceed for them on one of the nights at oh, wow. uh, the arena Sheffield Arena. How um, was that? Uh, oh, that was fantastic, you know. Cause, You know, I know that my name is inextricably uh, linked to to them and, uh, you know, uh, and I I don't mind that one one little bit because every album they've done has been absolutely... Like the Beatles were, you know. Every album is different from the last one. There was not... They, they, they don't have this kind of obsession with what, what's our style. They don't seem... And because they're all pals from school and things like that, no stylists or anything yeah. have got to them. You know yeah. I mean? Why don't you try this on? They're all complete... And they are very stylish individuals, all of
0: them. Completely, yeah. and I think it's very key stylish. as well that they came in... You know? they, they blew up at a young age because then That's it allows right. their changes up to up be natural, natural changes. Exactly. Absolutely, and his voice is... As abs- you do. As you it, do between the oh ages man. of 16 and say thirty. You have such change in your tastes, in your style, That's in your right. approach.
1: That's right. he can do it all, Alex, as well. You yeah, know? not only in the songwriting department, but his his voice is a, a thing of great oral beauty. I mean yeah. it's uh, it's absolutely A U Double Yeah. You know, it's a thing of great beauty, you know. Yeah. Uh he's he's got a resonant a resonant baritone, you know, he's got a hell of a vocal range. Yeah. You know, so, he can um, sing any kind of song. That kid, yeah, he's but, just going to always work, and so are the rest of them. Yeah. Last time I saw Helder's before that was uh, playing playing drums for Iggy Pop. Oh, really? Yeah. When I see him in France two years wow. ago, wow! I know that
0: guy. I recognise <laughs> yeah. this kid. I mean, you mentioned there the the luck, jokingly, of of being nicer than just before <laughs> they blew up, but it's something that resonates with me as well. So about. F- f- four years or so after the arctics b- b- blew up a- 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 you and I were doing the crossing boulders festival oh yeah in Europe yeah in two you remember different that. Places. Michael Madsen was yeah, there
1: yeah yeah yes, I yes, out with yes. Him. he I was out with him for the full weekend what a gas that was amazing oh, he kind of told some stories and stuff oh, t- let me tell you this story we'll go. Michael Madsen we, I remember that we, we swapped places didn't we we were in Rotterdam one night yeah and,
0: and then in Den Haag on, yeah, on the we, other night then swapped over. I remember all all I had was I ate in the catering near Michael Madsen, I was on my own, and I was like, that's Michael Madsen. I I, I didn't go and have a word, but tell me a
1: story, tell me a story. I'm real short-sighted, and back then I was smoking cigarettes, you know what I mean? uh, And and it it was great because I found this place that sold unfiltered camels. Right. So when I smoked cigarettes, I used to love those unfiltered American cigarettes, you know, Pall Mall camels, Lucky Strike. And uh, real—that's what smoking cigs is all about. If you to yeah. smoke, I don't believe a filter tip saved one life. Prove it.
0: Right, <laughs> that's fair enough. How
1: big a drug do you take? Too many variables. Completely. How big a drug do you take?
0: I—I I, genuinely—I do a podcast, another podcast uh, with a doctor called Dr. Susie Gage, and the podcast is called to "Say Why to Drugs." And we pick a different dr- 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 drug each week, and she breaks down the facts. Behind it, And one of the things she said is the stronger and bigger filters on cigarettes generally mean they end up being worse for you. Because exactly that, you drag that bit harder. You yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. take it in and Horrible. it ends up giving you a bigger hit rather than if it's a control, pure. It's, yeah, again, I'm, right. not,
1: I'm not... If it's just a bunch it, of leaves wrapped in paper. Exactly.
0: Anyway, anyway I don't medicine. do
1: that no more. But yeah. but back then... So I just purchased this pack of unfiltered camels and I'm walking out like, you know... Out, uh, in the concourse of the hotel. Yeah. I could see this guy in a, re- a very brightly coloured resort shirt, a tiki shirt there <laughs> yeah. at the bar. But I just walked past the guy, like, getting my cigs out. And uh, and this guy runs after me. He says, uh, he says uh, hey, I was Mr. Clark back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mr. Clark, he says, uh, would you care to have a drink with uh, with, with Michael? So I thought, I'm like, Michael who? So, uh, so I looked at him. My God, it's Michael Manson. So so I so, thought, yeah, sure. So I so said just having a cigarette. So he so he comes walking up Mike and says, Are you going to have for a, You're going out for a cigarette. I says, Yeah, sure, he says, You gotta see. So I pulled him out. Couldn't have been the, couldn't have been a better cig.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, he You've went got...
1: He looked at me, went, Hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, right, you
0: so found both,
1: the good shit. So we both, we both cool enjoying a cig. We stood on a the corner, they would Obviously, he's written this sensitive beatnik... A volume of sensitive beatnik-style poetry, yeah. you know what I mean? He's anxious to make it on a literary level. Mm-hmm. So he's caught up with me there, he, he, and uh, we're standing around, and uh, love your work, Michael. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he says, uh, and Then he looks up, and he says, I want you to meet, want you to meet my fucking wife. That's right, my fucking wife.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he's
1: <laughs> wanting to meet, meet my fucking wife. And she walks... So she's walking up to us, and I'm thinking... Uh, Cry that that face looks familiar. She, she's gorgeous. That face looks familiar, and you know who I thought it was <laughs> Ellen Barkin, right? You know that actress, Ellen Barkin. She's in the Big Easy with Dennis Quaid,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, she's yeah.
1: the she's the uh, she's in Sea of Love, right? With uh, Al Pacino. She was big in the eighties. Yeah, she was in uh, Diner. With yeah. that whole Brad pair, yeah. it's a great movie. The launch yeah. pad of Mickey Rourke. Yeah, yeah. yeah, great Completely. film, great movie that. And
0: sharply, uh, d- sharply dressed as well. then. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so uh, she's walking up now. I'm thinking, I'm looking at him, I'm looking at her, you know, and I'm thinking, it's it's Ellen Barkin for Christ's sake. You know, a really hot, hot star. Yeah, and uh, you know, really special, not yeah. just like you know, re- one of them real, you know. Slightly, she always looked like she'd have a dirty neck. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? That sort yeah. of glam, yeah. You know, mucky, yeah. yeah. Sort yeah. of works in a garage the rest of the time. I okay. get yeah. Sort of look, yeah. Slightly, you know, dishevelled. All the better for it. Gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous girl. So she's walking up there, and I'm thinking, you're good, Michael. You're good, but you ain't that good. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not Ellen Barkin good. She's Marlon. She's Al Pacino. Good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. Amazing. She's Al- she's Leo DiCaprio. Good. Yeah. 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 You know. I was very surprised. Anyway, she she got closer and said, uh, "Hi, John. You know my husband. It wasn't Ellen Barkin at all." <laughs> she was much taller than, I imagine, Alan Barkley. She was about seven foot tall, but slightly, she had heels on, la boot, la booting. she was yeah. wearing the la booting, <laughs> And uh, so she was a couple of inches bigger than Michael, who's a, He's
0: you know, a big, lad. a
1: big guy. So I'm thinking, anyway, it wasn't her. She, and as and she comes up with, she comes in with, hi, Jan, you know my husband, Brian Setzer. My ex sorry.
0: Ex-husband, She's, yeah, not, yeah, a, she's yeah. not a
1: bigamist. There's a lot against that, even in America. <laughs> she's, a big, she's a big girl, but yeah, she's Brian not a bigamist. Sester. Remember him, the yeah. stray cat? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. So, yeah.
0: That's, that's
1: I bet you're thinking, what a name-dropping
0: star That's, that's a good connection. Con- ...this guy turned no, but out to be. And my strong memory of those gigs was... Because we were, uh, we had to do. Because we were both kind of headlining on different days in different rooms or whatever. You and I were going to be interviewed on stage together, and at that point, I was kind of the new up and, and coming thing. So when I was doing my gigs, it was all good. But as soon as we got on that stage, it was clear to me it was a Q and A type thing. Uh-huh. It was clear to me quite rightfully, in my opinion, that the crowd had questions for Mister Clark. Uh-huh. And what you did amazingly was. Literally, almost every question you'd bring round to. Well, I'm similar to Scrubius in that way, and this. And you brought me in so much, and I've always oh, remembered that, that and been them. grateful of that. Of kind of, yeah, just making it about the two of us. Kind of, it would have been easy to go, "Thank you, and good night." Don't watch I, that. watch. I've, this. I've been drunk? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that was a wonderful thing. So, how important has that that been to you to always be to remember when you were that up and comer? And again, well, it, it's, it's really- there to to the Arctic or to anyone else, just to be human and take it all in with everyone? Well, in in
1: terms of... Uh, I mean, there have never been more poets around, actually, than yeah. yeah. there are at, at the present time, in my, in my uh, living memory. I, Completely I, I agree. I, everybody, every one of them's got their own shtick. Yeah. You know, their own groove that is theirs. You know, I know that my daughters are, and her boyfriend are massive fans of yours. Scroopers. That's lovely. And, That's uh, amazing. And, and they're impressed to foot that I'm... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ..that you're actually talking to me, actually. <laughs>
0: it's amazing. So let's talk about that. I mean, this as, as we start to round things up, uh, this is your first collection in 30 years. So two things. Number one, why now? And number two... How have you seen the poetry scene change? Because, you, because you're right, it is... Well, there was no It is the biggest, scene. Exactly. It's become this big scene. It's yeah. become this big thing. And it feels like it's in the last that's ten why years. I,
1: well, there was none, bit And that's why I, I, I had to sort of get on... Uh, a, a jump on many bandwagons where yeah. poetry was not normally... you know, would seem to be incongruous. The Bernard Manning's Embassy Club, punk rock. You know, I... I'm lucky, and I can do my show in many different kinds of venues. I can do comedy venues, rock yeah. and roll venues, and literary venues. Well, you know, it, I, I am lucky, but I, it, it's a kind of look that I've made for myself. You does know, that, and uh, in some you know, I, I, some things I've done, some things in life, I, I did right. Does that come? From um, gr- I think gr- that's one of
0: Growing them. up, aware of the kind of of the cabaret type scene where. Your job is to entertain the crowd. So whichever That's crowd right. you're in front well, of you. Well, at,
1: at that time Manchester, you know, was uh, a place of heavy industry and people yeah. worked very hard for their wages of and course. it wasn't cheap to get into these uh to, to these clubs, you yeah. know, and uh, so you know you, they really would uh, they really would see their ass yeah. if you put in a substandard performance.
0: You've got a duty you know, to you're entertain. Taking,
1: you're taking food out of their children's mouth.
0: <laughs> I genuinely think that's the thing that's missed in a lot of, 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 a lot of scenes of music these days is there's an entitlement of, here I am as the artist, I'm going to perform my art. And I grew up, again, I think it's coming from working class areas and, and knocking about in South London yeah, at Millwall and stuff boundaries. like that of going, right, no... They've come to be entertained, and it's my job. They're, they've paid... My name may be on the front of the ticket, but they're, they're, their name's on the stub. Yeah, yeah. And that's the bit that's, that's, that's paying for all of this. Yeah, so there yeah. is a duty to entertain. Oh,
1: absolutely. I feel a, an onerous uh, responsibility in this regard.
0: Yeah. So, so, so how is this? Well, selection? it's a responsibility...
1: Uh, let me rephrase that. It's a resp- I feel a responsibility, but it isn't onerous. Yeah. That's a bad choice of word. It, right. It's not a burden.
0: No, no. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's a requirement. It's more enjoyable for everyone if everyone's having a good time. It's not a good time yeah. for you if you're doing your thing and they're well, not we're enjoying at work. it. If we wanted to have a good time, we'd have bought a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. perfectly put. So, uh, so so, what is it that's drawn you back to releasing a collection? There's a piece in in this new collection that is... Is, is a, a continuation of a, of a of an old piece or a response to an yes, old piece. Yes, there is. So,
1: it almost didn't get I almost forgot about
0: what Beasley Boulevard Yeah, Beasley right? Boulevard, because Beasley, Beasley Street Be- is one of your most, most that's famous That's right. It is, is a classic. If, yeah. I,
1: if, any, if any of my poems are classics, it's that and Chicken Sound, isn't it? Damn right, yeah. So you can't fight that cat. You can't fight public approval. No, no. Uh, it's a democracy. They call the shots.
0: Oh, oh, oh. And it's oh. their
1: favourite. I know that. And because of that... They're my favourites too.
0: Oh, when you're, 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 so you're, that, you're signed in by the Sopranos yeah, like using Chicken tally. Wow, that makes There's it, another. that gives the credibility. That Jesus. makes his ego.
1: Yeah, yeah, man. God, have I dined out on that. That's really bumped up my audiences in the States.
0: Now, I was going to say, how was that being uh, a fan of the States then and Sopranos being such a, again, it was oh, the man. proper America that you've spoken of loving, yeah, 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 of showing, yeah. of, of sharp suits, of, 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 great of, of sharper gentlemen. Yeah, um, yeah, great music. Yeah. So to be used movie. as the big closing scene of an episode. Of
1: yeah, I oh, was so proud, so hits. so pleased. Yeah, so so very pleased about because I was already a mega fan, you know. Yeah, I've watched every episode more than three times.
0: Amazing, amazing. <laughs> I've derailed you there, though. But Beasley Boulevard is it? Yeah, yeah. Collection it's, and it's, 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 it's
1: great that it stitches this book to one that came out thirty years ago. Yeah, it's, it's a great. good tie-in, yeah, right? You know,
0: You've got to get a collection. It's great, it's, <laughs>
1: the, you know, it's a running thread, but you know, it's a. It's a it's also, you know, it, it, in itself, uh, it's a great makeover poem. I just thought about it when I wrote, when I thought this book's going out, you know, I'm, I'm going to be bringing a book of poetry out. The reason is, you know, I'm running out of time. Get me while I'm alive.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's really why I brought the book out now. Get I mean, me. I mean, I love that. I love Get that. me while I'm alive. There's nothing I'm wrong
0: alive. with that. That's a realisticness. Everyone, everyone has an expiry date as yeah, such. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. love
1: yeah. that you're. The guy upstairs calls time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and you're going to be touring this, I assume. You, you you never kind of seem to stop touring. No, general, no, that's, so. that
1: that has always been the main part of what I do. Doing, uh, you know, the road work, and uh, it's great now that uh, for many years I was kind of uh, it was very hard work for me to get around the country doing these shows. But now I'm in a position to do them in blocks. Yeah. So that I got a driver that takes you know my friend Johnny Green. Yes who's, uh, you know, responsible for making it all happen. Yeah. And uh, it's just me and him in a car going all over the world, in fact. Except America is not allowed in America, long story.
0: <laughs> I think Johnny was there at Crossing borders, right? I'm he sure admit, I, would, yeah, I, see, I, I, I get, met him at that
1: yeah, point. No, no, that wasn't Johnny, actually. Was that? that was my manager, Phil Jones. Phil, that's Manchester. right. Yeah, Phil, no, yeah that's Johnny right, yeah. Johnny wasn't on that one. No, Johnny, <laughs> now to, Johnny, Johnny Green. He used to look after the Clash. He was the the, the first, the only road manager really they ever oh, wow. they ever had. And then after that, he moved to Texas, where he was the road manager for uh, the out what they call the Outlaws: uh, Waylon Jennings, Joe Ely, and Willie
0: Nelson. Right. Wow.
1: So yeah, yeah,
0: and they were legit. Fantastic! I, yeah.
1: lo- I love Willie Nelson. I think he's possibly well one of the last five living superstars. Yeah, There's, you're going to miss him when he's gone. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a fabulous songwriter and singer! Completely sensational. So, so I'll, I love, I love that guy.
0: I'll wrap things up again on a on a kind of a personal inquiry on my part. How did you know the Bard of Sulford find himself? down in my neck of the woods in Essex and, and becoming an Essex, an Essex boy oh, as such. Oh,
1: no, no, that wasn't at all difficult um, on account of my then girlfriend, now my wife. Yeah. Uh, already had a house down there. I, I was living at quite a... When I met her, I was living quite a, you know... Uh, feral existence, you yeah. know, kind of semi... Uh, south, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was living with other people. I was a lodger, a professional lodger. <laughs> yeah,
0: <a> long-term
1: <laughs> professional lodger. Because I always had to move around anyway, you know what I mean? And it didn't, it didn't you know one thing or another. So anyway, when I met her, it was easier for me to move in with her than for her to move in and my non-existent gaff. <laughs> and how
0: i so you we, find living anyway, there? Anyway, you you do 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 does, I love Essex. Essex. I
1: love Essex. The people, are, the people are fabulous. And I've lived in Essex, never forget, I've lived in Essex uh, about twice as long as I ever lived in. Manchester.
0: Wow, wow.
1: So I am really more of an Essex type. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Well, I'll wrap things up there. What um, with
1: my enthusiasm for the internal combustion engine.
0: I want you to do at least one gig as an Essex, as as, as Essex John Cooper I, I, Clark. I plans. want to hear that. I've got planes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. And as I said, the book's out... November, um, you're going to be touring, you're going to be all over the place, and screwed, I'm going to have to yeah. come along and catch her, because it's been don't a Don't be a
1: stranger, don't buy a ticket, ask for Johnny Green, we'll walk you in.
0: I will, I Whatever will. the um, town. Again, I was going to say ex- exactly the same, I, I only realised recently that we're both Essex boys now, so yeah, th- th- don't be a stranger indeed, let's keep in touch. Keep the faith. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful.
1: You've been
0: listening to Scroobius Pips Discrushed in Pieces. There we go. That was John Cooper Clarke, absolute living legend. Um, I'm going to keep this outro short and sweet. I didn't plug Speech Development Records too much or Patreon.com slash Scroobius Pip too much in the intro. So a little extra plug for that. Come support, come be part of the secret gang at Patreon. I'm going to have another free podcast for you next week. All the more reason to go and buy some merch or join the gang, a free podcast on Friday, not next week on Friday, on Friday with, 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 with Matt Palmer. And it's a really good one. It's a r- amazing insight into, into the film industry, into independent cinema, into taking your idea and dream and making it into a reality. Um, it's, it's really nice because it contrasts nicely with the, the boots Riley one in a couple of weeks. Um, Because it's both people who are just going, here's my film. It's weird and unusual, but I want to make it. I want to bring it into reality. So, yeah, great stuff to come. Thank you for tuning in. Um, Hopefully see a load of you at the book club um, this Saturday, the 24th of November for our last We Are Lizards of the Year. I'll be there DJing in a rubber lizard mask and just hanging out in general. See you soon. See you Friday. Ta-ta.